Hey, this is Akshay Nanavati, Marine Corps veteran, adventurer, and author of Fearvana. And if you want to create a life with more meaning, more money, and more freedom, you have to listen to the Shit You Don't Learn in College podcast with my good friend, Xander Fryer. How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's Xander Fryer here with another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And in today's episode, we've got Akshay Nanavati. He's a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, an ultramarathon runner, explorer, mountain climber. He does all sorts of crazy shit. And he is also the author of the bestselling book, Fear Vana, the foreword written by the Dalai Lama himself. Akshay has overcome drug addiction, alcoholism, suicidal tendencies. He's been uh, featured in companies, featured in publications like Fast Company, Forbes, Inc., CNN, Entrepreneur, The Washington Post, Bloomberg, and many, many more. You're not going to want to miss this episode. In it, we dig into a lot of amazing and deep stuff, uh, including how to become more spiritual in a materialistic world, the biggest lessons learned running 167 miles across Liberia, how to move through fear to find nirvana, how he overcame alcoholism and suicidal tendencies, and how Akshay plans his life to make sure that he hits all of his goals. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. For every five-star rating we get, we plant one tree and help one kid get one year of e-learning in India. We go through our reviews every single week and we see how many new ones and we make that happen. So when you review us, you give back to. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And today we've got Akshay Nanavati. Akshay, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. I mean, I've been I've been looking forward to this conversation. I feel like every time you and I chat, we could probably chat for hours. So we're going to sure. try and keep this one to a good amount of time for everybody. Um, but there's, there's so much that we could dig into, uh, your book, Fearvana, all your adventures, exploring, climbing mountains, doing ultra running shit that humans should not be able to do. Um, like your past or history overcoming, you know, PTSD and alcoholism and, and everything from the, the U S Marine Corps. And, you know, you and I share a common bond around losing Mm -hmm. a close friend. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we could dig into a lot and I think we will dig into a lot, but before we do that, for everybody who doesn't know who Akshay is, would you mind giving like a 
you know, maybe a three to five minute synopsis of, of how you got from where you are to, to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. My journey to Fearvana, I would say it really began when I moved to Austin, Texas. And I was, I was about 13 years old, born in India, lived all over, came to Austin. Soon after moving to Austin, I got very heavily into drugs, into alcohol, very self-destructive lifestyle. I still have these scars on my arm from cutting myself and burning myself. I have this scar right here. I lost two friends to drug addiction and was heading down that path. Yeah. Until I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. I think you've seen it too, right? Yep. yep. Profound movie. Changed my life. That was the trigger that helped, like, that moved me out of living this very selfish, meaningless, worthless existence. And watching these guys, specifically that scene when Gary Gordon and Randy Sugar, Medal of Honor recipients, they volunteer to go on the ground to set up a defensive perimeter, knowing more than likely that they would die. That they were not coming out of it, yeah. Exactly. And they died, and Michael Duran is alive today because of what they did. And that inspired, that triggered something in me that just, I mean, the kind of courage for a human being to do that, you know? How, how could you knowingly put yourself in a situation that exactly. you're almost certain not to come out of? What kind of human being does that? What, what kind of human does that? Yeah. It's awe-inspiring. I mean, it's absolutely awe-inspiring. And that left a mark in me to this day that lives within me. I mean, and after watching that movie, I read the book Black Hawk Down. Like, straight after watching the movie, borrowed the book, uh, read, and then just devoured book after book on military and life in combat. And that was the trigger that, like, almost overnight stopped doing drugs and decided to join the Marines. Yeah. It took me a while to get in because I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. And I also have flat feet. I have scoliosis. I'm a genetic mess. So, so you, have, <laughs> you have no excuses. You have no excuses to, to not do these things, right? Like, Jesus, you have every excuse, right? I have, exactly. <laughs> I am not some genetically gifted athlete by yeah. far from it. Like I said, I mean, flat feet, scoliosis, the blood disorder, basically it transports less oxygen through my blood which is obviously not a good thing. Oxygen through blood is, is kind of necessary, right? Just, just coming from the man who climbs mountains. and climbs mountains at high altitude. Runs at high road. altitude. Exactly. All right, we're going to dig into that in a bit, we'll but let's continue. It. Yeah. So it took me about a year and a half to get all the medical waivers. Honestly, if it wasn't a post-9-11 world, they almost certainly would not have let me in. But here's yeah. the young, dumb kid waiting to go Marine Corps infantry. Fuck yeah, we'll find a way to put him in, right? So yeah. went into the Marines, and the Marines is when I started to... That was the, the, the starting point to everything I do now. Like, it taught me the power of suffering, the beauty yeah. of struggle. Dude, you've been in the military. You know that training is not easy, right? It's hard. And yeah. I fell in love with it. Like, I not only obviously survived, but I graduated at infantry school as the honor graduate of my platoon and thrived so i yeah. and, and that that led me to outdoor sports because i started looking for other ways to test myself got into mountaineering cave diving scuba diving like skydiving like you name it every outdoor sports it's, i could it's, find it's interesting because most of us never i think never most of us never realize what we're actually capable of because we Absolutely. never actually get pushed to that point and you the military those or, yeah. forces you like it forces you to push yourself to that yeah. point yeah. yeah. And that's fucking beautiful. I mean, that's yeah. why I, I absolutely fell in love with that. You know, I mean, at first week in boot camp, it sucked, but, but after, but after yeah. you acclimatize to that, you're like, this is awesome. This is a profoundly powerful experience. And being yeah. a Marine is a huge self part of my self identity to this day. I love that experience. So got me into outdoor sports. Then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq as an infantry non-commissioned officer. I had many jobs out there, one of which was to walk in front of our vehicles looking for IEDs, which are bombs, improvised explosive yeah. devices, before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. Yeah, so so you're basically the test dummy. Is what the, you're exactly. Because <laughs> if yeah. somebody was going to get blown up first, right? Who yeah, let it be, be him rather than let the convoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <idea>. Exactly. <laughs> it was me and one other guy we would search through like anytime we got a danger zone, like a bridge or something to clear yeah. the area before the convoy could come through. 
again, the, the experience was profound. It was intense. It was deep. It was powerful, but I, I loved it, uh, treasured it, came back, and I struggled in this world. Yeah, I wanted to go back to war every chance I could get. I uh, volunteered to go to Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, couldn't get my chance. So I went to grad school in journalism because I wanted to go back to war as a combat journalist. Yeah. That didn't pan out. And basically since then, I mean, I got went into some dark places, started drinking heavily. I lost a friend in the war. As, as you know, you, you know, you touched on that. I lost two junior Marines to suicide. And I just I felt like I hadn't done enough to earn my place on this planet and just wrestling right. with the survivor's guilt, wrestling with all of this stuff. I started drinking. I mean, dude, I was at the point drinking a bottle of vodka a day. Like yeah. this would go on for five, seven days on end. I mean, and until one morning when I woke up after one of these binge sessions and I was seconds away from picking up a knife and slitting my wrist, that moment was the trigger. I wouldn't say by no means was it like a smooth climb out. And that Waha moment changed everything. It was a brutal ride, like a dark, a hard yeah. climb out of that abyss, but that was the trigger that led me to delving into neuroscience, into psychology, into spirituality to help initially just heal myself and get me out right. of this darkness. Right. But then to then to try like to take the lessons and share them with others because obviously I'm not the only person who suffered. Everybody suffers right. in their own way. And the essence of what I do now with Fearvana is to help. I mean, it's these two seemingly contradictory ideas, right? Fear and Nirvana. And everything I had learned from the life experience, from the research, was that fear is not the antithesis of nirvana. Fear is an access point to it. I am framed as the opposite. Can you say that again? Say it one Absolutely. more time for everybody to pay attention. Absolutely. Fear is not the antithesis of nirvana. Fear is the access point to it. Yeah. But it is framed as something opposite. I mean, how often do you hear, be fearless, don't be scared? I mean, how many of us hear the word fear and think of it as something positive, right? Yeah. Rare, if ever. And everything I learned up to this point was to help, like even when it comes to post-traumatic stress. I had post-traumatic stress, but post-traumatic stress is very different than post-traumatic stress disorder. Those yeah. are two different things. And post-traumatic stress can easily lead to post-traumatic growth. It's all how we approach it. So everything that I did with Firavana was to help people reframe their, like the essence of it is for help people develop a positive relationship to any kind of struggle, fear, stress, anxiety, pain, to the, whatever. To the negativity, yeah. Exactly. And develop a fall in love with those experiences because they will show up whether we like it or not, but to use it as an access point to a life of greater meaning, bliss, and fulfillment. So I, I have to pause you on this one just because Absolutely. it, it, it Sorry, hits no, so no, no, no. home. Yeah, for me, and, and we'll continue on, but you know, this is, uh, when I explained it to people, when I lost my best friend, AJ, to suicide, who was also uh, a Marine, um, you know, people asked me, like, how did you, like, how did you keep going on? And how did you keep growing? And not only grow, but like, or not only go on and move forward, but like, take that experience and almost use it as like a springboard and catapult. And I, I always, I, the thing that I told people, and I haven't found a way to put it, but you just put it so eloquently. I told people, I was like, I don't know what it is, but everybody thinks that sadness and joy are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Everybody thinks that grief or or despair and motivation and, and inspiration are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And what I found was like the more I made friends with the deepest, darkest emotions, the more I was willing to go sit in grief and heartache and guilt, everything that you're mentioning, the more I was willing to go sit in that, I found myself falling through it or pushing through it into something amazing, this, this joy, this bliss, this inspiration. It was on the other side of this fear that I would literally find life again. And it was, it was crazy because they're not opposite. They are through. Absolutely, man. I mean, when I like to talking about guilt, 
after when I, you know, went through that low moment and coming out of it, I learned to reframe my guilt. Like for a long time, I had a picture of my friend that I lost in the war. I had it up on my wall right when I woke up right in front of my computer and I had it and it said it was me and my buddy Neil and it said this should have been you earn this life. Yeah. Now that's an intense thing to look at every day, but that fueled me. It fueled me to writing Fear of Honor. It fueled me to ultimately get to where I am today and running ultras and doing all of these things. Because like you said, man, you like, I always like to say that happiness is not the elimination of sadness. Happiness is the ability to find the gift in sadness. Yeah. There's value in pain. There's value in struggle. There's value in sadness and all of those things. They're not bad emotions or good emotions. There's just emotions. And it's what we do with it that matters. It's a story we tell ourselves and then what we do with it afterwards. Yeah. By the way, I, I don't know if we're just brothers from another mother, but I have a uh, a chalk. So basically a chalk painting and you can't see it right here, but it's literally right at my desk. Every day when I walk into my desk, I have to look at it directly before I sit down and it's, it's uh, scratched out of chalk. It was a drawing that AJ drew two weeks before he took mm-hmm. his own life. And it says, mm-hmm. someone give me a hand. Wow. And it, it reminds me every day when I come into my office that this is not about me, that there are people out there that need me. And it gives me inspiration and power in it. It makes me sad every time I think about it. I get chills just talking about it. But every day that I see it, I, I go, let's get to work. Let's fight through the fear. Let's take the courageous actions. Let's, let's come from more love than anybody thought was possible because that's what people need today, right? So it's it, exactly what you mentioned. It's like that reminder that that sadness sparks that inspiration in me every yeah. day. Yeah. Dude, That's before awesome. I came on this interview, before I do any, I watched that clip from Black Hawk Down at the end of the movie where uh, Eric Bana's character says, you know, when I go home, people ask me, why do they do it? And he says, I don't say a word because they won't get it. It's about the yeah. men next to you. Yeah. And before any interview, before I shoot a video of anything, I watched that clip and it reminds me why I am here talking to you is because if it can leave a mark for one person, yeah. One person, man. That's 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 the battle. That's what it's all about. I, I dig it, man. I appreciate that. And thank you for all that you do, by the way. Um, so so moving forward, you you obviously you come back, you're fighting these demons, and you find that really pushing through these demons is where you where you find that bliss. Talk to me about mm-hmm. that as you keep moving forward. Yeah, you know, when I when I when I started when I got to that low point, so what happened even before this to because this was the journey navigating what like how I started how I got diagnosed with PTSD and how I got to that point. So to be very frank, I was married at the time and I was having issue like issues physically with my wife, like yeah. sexually, but it wasn't a physical issue. It was a psychological one. So she was kind of like, let's go, let's find out what's going on. So I went to the therapist and dude, they were great people. They were really beautiful souls. They wanted to help. But what I have come to learn over time is that they were operating from just a really bad playbook. See, everybody yeah. told me, don't feel guilty. You know, it's not your fault. And dude, rationally, I get it, man. You get it. Bullets fly where they fly in war. Nobody can control that. But emotionally, yeah. it doesn't change that reality in my mind. It's you know, still, that emotion is still it's there. It's still there. It's still there. But it's not a bad thing, right? And they told me because I was jumpy with loud noises. I didn't like crowds. These were all symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Now, when I hit that rock bottom and I started delving deep into all of these learnings, I started to realize that, look, I was jumpy with loud noises. I was, I struggled with crowds because my brain learned to say in seven months in a war zone, these ex- experiences could kill you. So you these better were be bad things. Yeah. These <laughs> bad things. So it's like, so what, you know, the, the core essence of what I learned is we don't control most of what shows up in our brain. Like right now, as I'm sitting in this room with you, if somebody comes into my room with a gun, I'm going to sh- register fear. 
Yeah. That's the normal response. I'm not choosing yeah. it. It will register. It's you, what you can't be it. fearless. It's just going to trigger. It's going to trigger. And that's a healthy response. You like anybody <laughs> who's fearless is there's something wrong with you or they're lying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's a healthy response. So I started to reframe all of this and say, look, it's not a disorder. It's a normal human response. And by separating that label of disorder, I was able to disidentify and stop because the problem is so many of us, we get attached to our emotions, right? We'll say things like, I am depressed. I have depression. And that becomes our self-identity. I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Instead of saying, like, my brain goes through a state of sadness from time to time, but I am not my brain. We are not our thoughts. I feel sad sometimes. I feel feel jumpy sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. And so recognizing that that is not the problem. It's what I do with it that's the problem. So foundational of what element of was recognizing the, 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 the separation between what is in my brain that I don't control and who I choose to be outside of what is. Yeah. So like one of my core mantras is we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. We are not our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings and the experiencer of our experiences. I love that. Recognizing there is a space and what we choose to do in that space will define us. So look, man, you get it. To this day, I go through low moments, sad moments, but cool. I mean, I'm and honestly, I'm grateful for them. The yeah. high wouldn't be as high without the low, you know? Yeah. And so we need the darkness to understand the light. So that's that was my, my starting point out of that. And then translating it into what I call your worthy struggle. Like you can't leave the darkness in a void. You have to channel it to something meaningful, you know? So my worthy struggle became through the work I do with Fear of Honor, running ultra marathons, climbing mountains, and exploring the very edges of the human condition in all its forms. So physically, spiritually, as you you know, I, you know, I spent seven days in a darkness retreat, pitch darkness 24-7 to <laughs> be alone with my thoughts in pure darkness to see where that, that is. Go. That is literally hell for most people right there, by the way. Like, that is the epitome of hell for most people. And you willing, willingly put I yourself paid good money to go there. Yeah, you pay money for this. <laughs> Yeah, that is amazing. Buddies were like, dude, you're out of your mind. You know, we like do that as a form of torture, and you're like paying money <laughs> to go to. <laughs> Jeez. But exploration of that was what continued to uh, help me. Re- the, the recognition that, really, in a visceral way, that like, I, like again, another one of my f- ways that I put it is that the greater if your de- the greater your demons, the greater the divinity required to rise above them. Yeah. So we need, we need to know the darkness to know the light. And that's how I kind of started to transform it and now use it as a vehicle for service to others. So you, th- this, this kind of triggered something for me because while, while I was doing some more digging on you, I ran across a, a Carl Jung quote that you have on your, on your website, which just like really hit me because you, you just mentioned, you know, we really have to know the darkness to know the light. Um, and I actually wrote it down, so I'm going to read it right here. You said, people will do anything no matter how absurd in order to avoid facing their own souls. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Can you can you tell me what that means to you? Can you delve into that a little bit? Yeah, like we have to go into those spaces within our soul to find something that we've that we're that we do everything, like Carl Jung said, to avoid going into those spaces. We will distract ourselves all the time, right? I mean, today's world, phone, laptop, drinking, drugs, watching Netflix all day, and sometimes even the positive things like working or uh, yeah. working out, they can be ways to distract ourselves. It can be a distraction, yeah. From a confronting, from, uh, from avoiding going into those spaces and facing that darkness within. But only when we go there, because as Carl Jung also says, one of my favorite quotes, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. 
So Ooh. most of us, yeah, I love that quote. It is so profound and so true. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So you have to go into those spaces into the unconscious because if you don't, they're controlling you. They're going to yeah. control you whether we like it or not. Like research has shown this, neuroscience shows it, spirituality shows it. We are very, we, we do not have as much control of our brain as we like to think we do, as much yeah. autonomy as we like we, to think we have. Most of what happens in our brain happens without our awareness. So the yeah. goal is to bring that darkness to the surface, whatever it may be. Like, look, we all have our demons and we all have our light. Like we have our darkness, we have our light. The real, the recognition that neither one is the enemy, neither one is bad, neither one is good. They both operate within us. The goal is to bring it to the surface and then choose how we use it. That's what that really that that quote and I mean like you that, know that, that's also scary for a lot of people like talk to me it's absolutely terrifying <laughs> it, it really so, is. say say we're not willing to you know uh, sit in darkness for <laughs> three years and whatever crazy shit that you do uh, like what's what's the what's the first step that somebody can do to start to delve into these like dark spaces. Cause I think, I mean, this is, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Like I, I'm the type of person that I sit and I journal my, my negative emotions every single morning. Love it's it. funny. I just, I had this conversation with, um, we interviewed Sharon Travatsa, uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he sold Telus for $3.4 billion. And I asked him, you know, what's, what's your secret and like, what got you there? And he's like, one of my biggest secrets is I, I journal all my negative thoughts every mm. single morning. Mm. Right. And it's like, you know, talk about somebody, you know, we're talking about somebody who's, who's just sold a $3 billion company and my, his first tactical, like, like piece of advice is like, go journal your negative shit. Yeah. Right. So, so talk to me about this. We're talking about people going and sitting in that, those negative or those dark corners of their yeah. mind. Like what's something that, that a normal person say, <laughs> not Akshay can actually do to start to, to do, to do this. If you don't want to go to a darkness retreat for some reason, then <laughs> I guess you don't have to. But or but climb the, a finale in your underwear, whatever it is. Like, yeah. So the other ways are, I mean, exactly what you said. Journaling is a very powerful tool. Sitting still with yourself, man. Like yeah. sit still in the dark. Like it doesn't have to be a seven day darkness retreat, but sit still. In a in a dark room at night, see where your mind will take you, and you'll find. That's something that in, in today's society, like you don't have to sit still. We have our like. It's so interesting for me to think like, like everybody listening to this, like ask yourself, when was the last time you sat down and did nothing? You were on your phone. You didn't watch. You weren't watching TV. You weren't having a conversation. You sat and did nothing, right? It's so that probably rare. that probably terrifies a lot of it, people. It is. It's 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 really scary that stillness. But you have to move through that to get to the other side of it. Like as an example, you know, I did this. Uh, in, I was really blessed in this interview with Dr. Drew. And at the end of the at the end of the interview, people were calling in like about their stuff. One lady called in, and she was struggling with PTSD from the Boston bombing. She was sort yeah. of asking some advice around it, and then we, we were sharing different things. And at one point, I said, you know, when you feel the the, the stuff show up, whatever that the, the symptoms of that, like I want you to just sit with it and be with it, and and like just hold on to that moment. And she said, it was that's really hard. And I go, I know, like it is really hard. But that's that's the thing. That's like at the core of it. At the core of all problems is that we are looking for the easiest, quickest way out yeah. of that problem. That's we're the always, problem. Always looking for the easiest way. Easiest, out. quickest way. And there is the. If you keep searching for that, you're going to continue to live a more miserable life. You have to face the suck to transcend it. So in terms like, you know, be still with yourself, journal and suffer, like go into spaces where you suffer, where one part of you, that's why one of the big reasons why I do this when you're ultra running, like it's not fun. You go through absolute hell. I mean, you know, I think I've shared this with you when the pandemic first hit, I did a 50 mile run around a cul-de-sac. 
just going like a thousand laps around this cul-de-sac. You really are one for torture, man. Like, <laughs> this, this isn't just physical stuff. Like, this is pure Every mental way I torture. can find it. Mental, spiritual, physical, all of it. <laughs> wow. But there was a reason I one I wanted to share. It, especially, I specifically did it when the pandemic hit to show that we like we can find mo- opportunities anywhere, everywhere. There's always opportunities. So I wanted to inspire others. But by doing it around the loop, around this loop, I had to confront the monotony of that. And I wasn't using an iPod or anything, so no way to run away from my mind. So I had yeah. to sit with my mind. So do yeah. things that put you in a space where one party you wants to quit and the other wants to fight. When you go into those spaces, you will find something within yourself that you cannot find unless you go there. Yeah. Unless you go into those spaces. So by doing that, and then the other way is once you become more self-aware of what the stuff is, like whatever your dark, whatever your version of the darkness is, and this is kind of, I would say, more, more advanced. You want to be ready for this, but is actually <laughs> sit with it and confront it in the deepest way. So here's what I mean by that. When I when I got to the point, like after having you know done all the inner work, I to this day, and sometimes I still do it, I will consciously watch scenes from war movies or watch war movies, knowing they will tear me up. Yeah, And they tear me up every time. Yep. And I do it because now, like, whatever the stuff that's still there, I'm going to confront that shit head on. I'm going to... You're, you're actively, you're on. actually actively searching for it at this point because you've, you've exactly. done it so many times and you've seen the good results from it. You're actually, actually searching for the suck. You're searching for the shitty emotions. Exactly. And you yeah. confront all those thoughts that a lot of people will tell you you should not. Like as another example of this. So I was working with somebody. Now, again, I'm going to offer a caveat. She was ready to go to this space that, I, that, I'm, yeah. <laughs> that I'm about to tell you. Like we had done a lot of awareness work. She was ready to go there. And she had gone through some pretty dark stuff as a child. Like some pretty traumatic stuff as a child. And we were talking about this. And I said, uh, this is going to sound messed up. But again, it was she was ready to go here. And I asked her, what if you deserved what you, what if you deserved all of it? What if you deserved what you yeah. went through? And she goes, whoa. She literally goes, whoa. And here's the thing. I asked her, as we, as we continue the conversation, I asked her, does some part of you feel like you deserved it? She goes, yes. Did some part of you feel guilty for it? She said, yes. Now, everybody's going to tell her, you didn't deserve it, obviously. Like, she didn't deserve this horrific yeah. thing that happened to her as a kid. She didn't deserve it on a moral level, but some part of her felt like she did. So I told yeah. her, go into those spaces. You, you basically you gave her permission to exactly. allow her to feel like exactly. she deserved it for a second. Go there. What if, if you did, what does that mean about the world? What does it mean about God? What does it mean about yourself? What does it mean about humanity? Yeah. And just enter those spaces, like open that dark room, see what's yeah. there. Because everything she's doing up to this point is closing that door because the world said you should not open that door. But yeah. it's still there. It's buried in her subconscious. So let's yeah. go there and then see what happens on the other side of it. First time she came, she came out of that. I mean, that night she sent me a message saying, fuck you, Akshay. Kids, you're not word for word. Because <laughs> inevitably she sent to some, some dark spaces, right? But yeah. for the first time ever, she told her husband what had happened. I still don't know the details. I can only imagine. And I don't care. It's not about knowing the details. Yeah. But for the first time ever, she told her husband she'd married like 25 years. Because... Again, now she was able to trans, like, to turn that demon into something beautiful, right? Could because you, yeah? Can you imagine, like, how freeing that is to finally be able to, like, yeah, it's a really dark, scary thing, but once you're able to get it out and exactly. have somebody else support you through it and be able to, like, like you mentioned, like, you're taking that unconscious ninety-five percent of our brain, and for the first exactly. time, you're turning a light on in that room. Exactly. It's like, yeah, there might be a bunch of scary shit in there, but like, whether or not the light's on or off, the scary shit's still fucking it's in there. there. It's like there. it's still there. Mm-hmm. So like you might as well turn the light on and be able to see it and start getting some of it out. Right. Yeah. And then once you go into those spaces, then you 
the more you like you bring that stuff to the surface, you now have an access point. You can use the darkness as fuel and you can use the light as fuel. You can consciously yeah. choose to access it at will. Like a very concrete example of this, when I did a I was doing a hundred I did a hundred and sixty seven mile run across Liberia. It was about a marathon a day. We were raising funds to build a school out there, doing humanitarian work. Profound experience. And since I was going out there as one does, I was like, why not run across the country? I- <laughs> Pause real quickly because I'm not sure I could even drive 165 miles straight. Like, that's, that's insane. But anyways, go ahead. Continue. So, I mean, it was intense. A marathon a day across. And not to mention, just forget about just that. The country has gone through Ebola. Like I met, yeah. former, I worked with former child soldiers out there, extreme poverty, civil war. I mean, the country's gone through hell on earth, right? So the intensity of that experience added on to the marathon a day was really profound. Yeah. So what yeah. happened was on like day five, I had this aching pain hit my shin. And it like took me, I was maybe 17 miles into the run for that day. And it just took me off my feet. I tried to massage it, put some cream on it. Nothing was not going away. So I started walking because I had to finish at least 25 miles for the day. So I started limping and, you know, I'm going about a mile and a half, just not just battling the physical pain, but the psychological pain, like shit, I still got a long way to go, you know? Yeah. And soon I started running and I went and I just started going all out on the sprint. And the whole time I was saying things to myself, like, remember Neil, it should have been you that was killed in the war. You should I yeah. die. You should have died out there. Suck it up. Earn this life. There are people suffering all around you. If you quit now, you deserve a coward's death. Like yeah. it should have been you. Fucking earn this. So I was saying this really dark stuff to myself, right? But that five miles I ran that day, fastest five miles I ran the entire trip. With a busted leg. With a and and the, the pain did not go away. This is very key. Like I have a picture of me icing my leg later that evening because I still had two days of running to do. With that, whatever the hell it was, I don't even know, but it was this aching pain. It did not go away, but I I tapped into it. I used the darkness as fuel. Now I don't mm-hmm. always do that. There were other days on that run where I was like just gratitude, bliss, you know, yeah. looking at all the things. So the point is that the light and darkness can both be used. It's not one is bad or one is good. They both yeah. have their purpose when you tap into it. Oh man, I feel like we're having some Jedi conversations right now. This is this is great. I love digging deep on this stuff. Um, so so let me ask you this. Well, actually, let's go into this. So all of this is that the entirety of Fearvana? Is that like you know going after the suck to find the bliss, or is there is there anything else that comes to like Fearvana specifically? You know, yeah. The so at at the core is helping people develop a positive relationship to fear, stress, anxiety, to suffering of any kind, yeah. and then using it to do three things: find, live, and love your worthy struggle. Yeah, I call it your worthy struggle. That is your path in life, right? It could be running a business, helping other coaches. It could be running marathons, whatever, playing guitar, playing chess, whatever it may be. Finding, living, and loving your worthy struggle. And I specifically use the term worthy struggle because my beef, like passion for what you do is a beautiful thing. But my beef with follow your passion is that it often conveys the idea. And especially for younger kids, you probably experience this a lot yourself. It conveys this idea that if you work, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And Uh life will be sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, it should never be work. It should never be hard. Yeah. And you know it, you built a business. This shit's fucking hard, man. Like there's days where running, dude, training the way I do, building a business, none of it is easy, but it's my worthy struggle. Like that's my worthy struggle. That's your worthy struggle. And so the idea is helping people find it, live it and soak in the beauty of that experience. Like the, the, it's, it's about the, the, the process, right? Like it is not the summit. It's the journey that matters. So helping people really soak in the day-to-day process of whatever it is, our worthy struggle is and falling in love with the battle, falling in love with that grind. And that, and I think that, that battle, that grind, that struggle 
is growth, right? And if if you want to look at life, you know, the the purpose of life, whether it's finding happiness, joy, bliss, yeah. uh, a lot of it comes back to like you have to grow to get there. You have to you have to go through struggle. You have to yeah. test yourself. You have to get out of your comfort zone to accomplish these things. And I think the world we live in today is so much about like finding comfort, right? Like, don't get me wrong, I love my my you know next day shipping from Amazon, but like. <laughs> Dude, if if Bezos gets any better at this, like I'm not gonna move from my couch yeah. ever. Like I'm never gonna have to move. Right yeah. It's it's no. crazy. But we are we we're we're getting more and more into this world where like every single one of our needs are met. Yet and every one of I should say every one of our survival needs are met. So now yet we're, we're more right. unhappy, more unfulfilled, more depressed than we ever yeah. were before. And it's because we are not going going after our worthy struggle, as you yeah. put it. Yeah. Right. Easier is not better. And I think see humanity collectively, Professor Mihai Csikmensihai, who wrote this fantastic book, Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, he says, you know, that despite our collective progress as a species, we still haven't figured out how to improve the day-to-day content of human experience. And in fact, we're more miserable than ever before for that very reason. We think of progress as this next thing that is going to make our lives easier. So every context, right? How do I make this, this easier? How do I solve this problem to make my life easier? But easier is not better. And that's yeah. what like, I really want to hone in on this is that, you know, we think that, okay, when I get there, the house, the car, the million dollars, the relationship, then I'll be happy. Whenever you get there, whatever the there is, some new problem will show up. That's yeah. part of the journey. And it's about falling in love with the process of facing that problem and overcoming that problem to seek out the next one. See, ultimately all growth is two things. Find what's working and do more of it. Find the problem, fix the problem. And so you got to look for it. Like it's there whether yeah. you like it or not. So look for it. It's not just about it. Like embracing suffering is part one. Seeking suffering is part two. Like it's going to happen. And if you don't seek out a worthy struggle, struggle is going to find you anyway. Yeah. So seek it. Fall so in love it, it, might as be, it might as well be your worthy struggle that it you might as choose. Well be your worthy. Right? Exactly. Because otherwise it's going to be some struggle that you didn't want. At every crossroads, any crossroads yeah. in life, there's going to be, look, do I work this corporate job that I hate? Do I start a business? Do I stay in this relationship? Yeah. Do I be single? Every crossroad, the question to ask, I always like to say, is, it's not about which passion you want to follow, is which struggle are you willing to endure? Yeah. Because you're going to fall to like the lowest, lowest common denominator, right? Like the chain is as, as strong as its weakest link. So similar within ourselves, we're only going to fall to that lowest point. So the question is, which struggle are you willing to endure? Work yeah. a corporate job or start a business? You're going to struggle one way or the other. Which struggle are you willing to endure? Which which one do you want to take? Yeah. Yeah. And then passion will be developed on the journey. Once you yeah. start pursuing it, once you get better at it, once you fall in love, like the things I do, they're not inherently fun. And I used to hate long distance running, man. Like when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to do a hundred meter run and like 400 meters was like, I, I did not want to do it. And now, you know, I run for 24 hours. Yeah. Longer. So that's, that's a good, you know, it's. It's interesting you bring that up because you know it's um I think it's Seth Godin mentioned this in one of his recent books he said uh doing what you love is for amateurs loving what you do is for professionals mm, right but I it's like same that. same idea it's like you know like you don't you you don't like pick what you're passionate about and then do it like you find the you find the thing and you develop your passion for it as yeah. you're going exactly yeah. exactly the passion will be developed on the pursuit of it i mean michael phelps used to be scared of swimming he got in the pool <laughs> And now he's I, did, I did not know that. That's, yeah, that's dude, he, was, he used to be scared of swimming, got in the pool, started getting better at it. As he got better, he fell in love with the craft, fell in love with the pursuit. And then, you know, he became Michael Phelps. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did a thing or two. Yeah. So, so <laughs> tell me this, and may, you may have already kind of like described this, but how would you define success then? Like specifically, maybe, maybe for, for Akshay or maybe for the world at large, like how would you define success? 
I think it's looking in the mirror every evening and being full, deeply fulfilled with who you are. So I think, can yeah. I, did I get better today than I was yesterday? And I think growth yeah. is an absolutely essential part of it. It's it, it, like, we, we crave it. Neurologically, there's like wiring about us. We are hardwired for novelty, for growth, as much yeah. as we are for com comfort. So it's like the duality coexists, right? Yep. So it's, it's success is, did I grow today? Did I become yeah. better today? Did, am I looking them? It sounds simplistic, but it's profound when, because it's one thing to say, yeah, no, I feel good. But I mean, I mean, at the core of your soul, like fulfilled. Yeah. Was I successful today? And the key, and like, this is what, again, is so hard is to do that. You have to fall in love with the pursuit, not the result. Like yeah. remembering that the result is a side effect of the pursuit. Like we have our goals. It's good. You need goals. But once you have the target, that's the back of your mind. Like yeah, I have it's, a target. It's, more, it's more like, all right, now I've got direction. Now I got now direction. Let's, now it's let's your let's North Star. It's your yeah. North Star. It's your compass. That shit. But that once I have it, that's in the back of my mind. Then I fall in love with the pursuit. And in that pursuit, I can look in the mirror and say, I was successful today. And yeah. you're going to have low days, bad days. There's all part of it. But that's the roller coaster, man. Like if life was static, what would be the, there would be no adventure in this experience. It would be you have very to know boring. It, it would, would be, be very, very boring, man. It would be very boring. You have to know the, the, the lows to experience the highs. So that's how I view success. And that's, and that's why it's so essential to know your worthy struggle because it's about living your version of whatever that means, right? You don't have to run ultra marathon, ski across ice gas, whatever it may be. Like, what is your mission? What's thank, your thank vision? You, by the way, I don't, I don't plan on running ultra marathon. <laughs> I feel a little bit better now. But I do appreciate that. <laughs> when, I come, when I come visit, we'll suffer together. It'll be awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, funny, it's funny you bring that up because I, I literally remember I have a buddy of mine who does triathlons and he convinced me to go on a morning run with him one morning and we ended up running 16 miles. I, I don't like... I hadn't run for three years prior to that. And I ran 16 miles with him. Nicely done, brother. But, but it literally was, you know, I, I still remember that because I was like, dude, it's amazing what you can do if you just don't quit. If you, if you don't like let the little bitch version of you in the back of your head, like tell you to stop. I was like, I hadn't run in three years. Right. Yeah. And I ran 16, I ran over a half marathon, just like out of the blue. So. And that's such a good point because the constructs we have in our mind limit our own, limit ourselves, limit our potential. Yeah. Like if we think a marathon, and this is not to say that a marathon is not a lot, but if I say, oh, a marathon is like the hardest distance. Like as an example, when one of my family in India heard I did a 24 hour run, they were like, is that even possible? Like, does, yeah. is that somebody you did? Like, that, is that even possible to do? Because that, that had never entered their realm of possibility about the construct of what the human, po the human uh, ability, like, like the human potential is, is, right. is capable of. But in my world of ultra running, 24-hour run is relatively normal. Pretty, you know what I mean? Pretty normal thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they're just, so the constructs around us, and that's how the evolution, you evolve by expanding your constructs. How yeah. do you do that? Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Surround yourself with who are better, stronger, whatever version of the thing is. Or maybe not even smarter, maybe just a little bit crazier than you. A little crazier a than little, you. <laughs> a little weirder than you. <laughs> yeah. And you'll find something, right? You'll expand what's possible by doing that. Expand like the knowledge you gain. And then and then obviously you have to apply it. Like the greatest lessons are in the doing. But like you yeah. apply, ran 16 miles. Now suddenly you're like, holy shit, I did that. I'm capable of that. Even though yeah. I hadn't run in three years, right? Now that expands your own realm of what's possible. When it all, it almost makes you curious once you do that, like you mentioned, it, it expands your realm that's possible, but it almost makes you curious. Like what's, what's what next? Like yeah. this one, yeah, this one didn't stop me. So like, what can I like, what's yeah. the next one that like might not yeah. stop me? Let's see how we, how far we can actually take it.
And that's a beautiful right. and dangerous game if you do and things where life and death is on the line. Like, dude, just yeah. a, like two weeks ago, man, I did an eight-minute cold river dip in the in a frozen river, and I got like level one hypothermia. I was yeah. shivering uncontrollably. So, you know, there's a line to flirt with. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of cold therapy. By the way, I've got a cold plunge in my in my backyard. It's like I literally like this weekend. I was in there awesome. for like six or seven minutes. I was yeah. like, this is getting this is getting pretty long, man. Yeah. So. <laughs> No, I've been doing like over now, the water's a little warmer. This was like in the dead of winter in like a frozen river. And so I had done like up to five minutes and then like now I can do 10 minutes because the water, I mean, it's still cold, but it's warmer. But like in this particular scenario, I like I, and again, the thing is like, I mean, arguably not smart. I was alone out there. Uh, <laughs> if things could have gone south, I was, I had a pretty decent walk to the car after the river dip, you know, yeah. but the thing is. Only by, like I think T.S. Eliot put it beautifully, he said only only those who risk too, going too far can find out how far they can go. Can can find out where that actually is. Yeah, yeah. so you got to push the line to, to know the line, and then yeah. you'll discover something. And then you got to like take self-awareness to know, especially if the risk you're flirting with is life and death, because there's many different things you can risk, right? You can risk looking yeah. stupid. You can you can risk. There's all kinds of risks. I, I, that I, think, of like, I think of like Alex Hommel free soloing, free soloing El Cap, it. right? I'm just like... All right, not not going that far. Not like, yet. That, one, that one's for you, dude. <laughs> was, exactly, and it's we all get to make that choice. Like I used to, not like Alex Alex Honnold's level, but I used to free climb rock walls without rope. You know, hundred yeah. like long, big enough walls that if I fell, I would either seriously injure myself or die. And I yeah. chose to not do that anymore. Like that line of risk was too high for me, uh, and so I don't do it. And it's not a right, wrong, good, bad about anybody else. We have to choose our own path. But yeah. the thing is, only by pushing can you kind of discover what that line is. Yeah. Dude, so so I'm sure like everybody's everybody who's listening to this is thinking and it's I think this is great, though, because like, you know, when you kind of know Akshay, like where you came from, like you, you like you mentioned, flat feet, blood disorder, like you've been through it all drug addiction, alcohol addiction, PTSD, like you, you shouldn't be this superhuman, but I like to think of you as a superhuman now. But a lot of it, a lot of it is just like you took the time to really focus on building your mental capabilities, your, your brain, your ability to face fears, sit in the darkness and use that as, as fuel for more. I'm always curious. And I think everybody's always curious, like what's like, what do you do? What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Like, do you just drink a cup of coffee of like mixed with like super juice or something like that? Like what, what, what do you do first thing in the morning when you wake up? So my morning routine has evolved a little bit recently because currently I'm sleeping in a high altitude tent. So yeah. <laughs> as one does. So it's a tent that simulates yeah. 17,000 feet. So I try to kind of keep, uh, my routine was a little different before the tent, but now that I'm in the tent, the first thing I do is I stay in the tent. So at 17,000 feet, I meditate for 15 minutes and then I do a Wim Hof breathing for 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then I look through, like I plan my night before. So I yeah. look through what is my top five, top three to five things for the day. And it's all yeah. mapped out already the night before. Usually what I do is I write down the number one goal I'm working with as if like working on it as if it's uh, as if it's already accomplished. Yeah. I'll, I'll write that down. I'll write down one thing I'm grateful for. I'm write down um, like any other message that I feel like I need to write to myself. Yeah. At that day. So, so form for basically like obviously being quiet, being still. And then you're incorporating some affirmations, some some things like that, yeah. as well as like gratitude affirmations, and then exactly. some breath work and and getting after. But all of this happens before you get out of the before the I tent. Had so it was a little bit different before the tent. Like my first thing I used to do was drop down and do pushups. But now because I'm in the tent, I've evolved it. I want to like stay in the tent uh, in that yeah. altitude before I break the seal of the altitude and get back to sea level. I I want to accomplish it all in in inside that 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 tent. Nice. 
So tell, so, tell me, you, you mentioned something that I think is really important as well. You mentioned that the night before you basically write out these three to five things the night before. I'm, I'm a big believer that like, you know, everybody's super high on the morning routine and I keep telling people like, yeah, morning routine's cool, but it doesn't exist without the evening routine. hundred percent. So, so talk to me about that. Yeah, I could not agree with you more because if, like, it, just psychologically, if you don't have a plan, the natural state of the mind is chaos. And if you don't have a plan, it's the paradox of choice. Too many choices, nothing happens, nothing gets done. And even, especially when it comes to like building a business, we could be like, ah, I don't know what to do today. There's, you know, there's multiple different moving parts that yeah. you have to do. And if you don't know what to do, and I've gone through this, you might've gone through it in the early stages of your business. Yeah. Is, like, yeah, it's like, ah, fuck, I don't know what to do. You know what? I don't know. Like, I won't do anything. And it just, yeah. and I'm not saying I consciously say that, but that's sort of what happens, right? It's what happens when you don't have that clarity. Yeah, exactly. So the key, the night before is to map that out. And what I, what the, the day, the, the plan that I have for the day is mapped out with the intention that this, this next day's plan is serving my week, my month, my year. Yeah. Like I have, I start off my life with a vision for the life, a philosophy statement. So I have a philosophy statement, a mission statement, a, a vision statement. This guides me. That's my North Star and my compass, right? Then I work backwards from there. So now when it comes to specific goal setting, uh, there's a lot of research that's done this. Like 90 day goal targets are the best way to plan out your, your, your targets. So I might have like a five-year vision, but my specific goals are focused on a 90 day target. Something now, that you can tactically like exactly go after. And you can kind of vision because if it's like like I still have there's something as you know you know like I'm working on towards two or two years from now very concrete mission that I'm working on to it's like two years down the road, but my main ninety day targets is where it's like very specific concrete yeah. that eventually I know will get me there right so they're they're all like set up that way but mapping it out the night before has me has me very clear like get extremely clear on what to do the next day. I yeah. also won like one of the most powerful tools that I've uh, created. I call it the Spirit Armory. So it's this little book that I write in there things you can write like affirmations. One of the things I do is I, I write down like what are the virtues and characteristics. I call it like the legend self. So yeah. Oxford at his most legendary, like Xander is most legendary. Who is yeah. we are most legendary? And I write down virtues and characteristics of that person. And I carry the spirit armory with me everywhere. Like I have it just over there. And um, and in the spirit armory, I also and I learned this from an Olympic gold medal Olympic gold medal winning athlete, where he what he would do is he would write down statements with the under the uh, tagline "It is like me too," so it is like me too whatever the thing is, like, right? Yeah. yeah, it is like me too. In this, he, he was an Olympic shooter. What's the name of the book? I can't remember off the top of my head, but anyway, he would write down, it is like me to shoot a 10. So he's reinforcing a self-identity. So, you know, mine, mine will be like, it is like me to be the toughest human being and can endure greater suffering than any other person on earth, right? It is like me to be ruthlessly focused and relentless every single day in the pursuit of my mission. So I'm, and, and I use the spirit armory as a tool. Like if I'm walking, let's say I've gone out with my folks, right? To dinner or something like that. On the way to the, the, the bathroom, I pull out my spirit armory and read this. It is like me to statement. So you're pounding your self-conscious, your subconscious with an identity. So yeah. one of the things I do in the night, I'll kind of look through this. I'll map out my day for the 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 the, the, the day before. Uh, and then I, I, I've also recently started practicing lucid dreaming, uh, which is a whole different yeah. animal, but I can touch into it. We'll, 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 we'll have another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different animal. <laughs> but, but basically, I'm looking at like, how can I train in my sleep? How can I use like, ultimately, yeah. there's four things you can train in life, your mind, your body, your spirit and your craft, whatever your craft is right now within a craft, there might be multiple different moving elements. Right. But those are the four things at a meta level. So I'm always looking at like every every moment is an opportunity to train with those things. So when I sleep, I'm sleeping at 70,000 feet on a pulse electromagnetic frequency pad practicing lucid dreaming so I can hopefully, I mean, I'm not a master at it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm training, working at it, but you I'm might, training. You sleep. might start to levitate while you meditate soon. Like no, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's there. coming. 
It's coming, yeah. brother. <laughs> but to, to your point, though, like the evening routine is so vital because it gives you clarity so you can step foot onto the next day with like, you don't have to think about what to do. The goal is to think to the point so you can remove thinking. So I think yeah. about the plan and then I just follow the plan mindlessly, right? Like this plan is just, I can just follow it. I don't have to think. You can, you can now, it, it basically stupid proofs your, exactly. your, your day. Like, yeah. dude, you get it military style, right? Like in the military, a lot of times you don't have to think. Somebody tells you what to when, do, you fucking yeah, do it. When you, when you wake up at four in the morning and you went, went to bed at two in the morning, like you, you better be pretty regimented. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a plan already made and laid out for you and you just follow it. So I kind yeah. of use that learnings from the military and replicate it within myself, with my own, with my own day. That's amazing, man. Dude, I like we could keep talking for hours. I do want to ask you one more one more quick question before I let you go. Um, what's the one thing that you wish you learned in school? Obviously, this being the shit you don't learn in college podcast. I, I, I would love to know what's the one thing that you wish was taught in school. I wish they would teach you how like the value of suffering and how to view it as something beautiful. Yeah. Like if, and that's when I speak to kids, like the foundational concept, I'll say, look, my goal is not to motivate you for a second and make you feel good. It's give you the weapons, the tools, the, the, the armory to face the struggle and handle it when life inevitably hands it your way. Because often school is like, you know, you follow your passion, all that kind of stuff, if that's even taught. But it's like to help. To, <laughs> I wish I would lo- like have learned that struggle, struggle the value of struggle. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And had the value of it and to seek it and how to follow it through. And uh, I would have been here much sooner than I was, <laughs> than I already was, had I followed that, that path early. I love that, man. Um, Akshay, I gotta, I gotta appreciate you for all the wisdom that's been dropped here for for the amazing insights. Um, you. you know, I know you kind of alluded to it. There's some big crazy shit that nobody's ever done before that you're going to be doing in a couple of years. So obviously we can't talk about that. Um, <laughs> but everybody, you know, if you don't know Akshay, make sure to know him, uh, because he's going to be doing some world changing shit soon. Uh, but other than that, what's on the horizon for you and where can people learn more about you? Uh, as far as what's on the horizon, you have many big adventures coming up end of this year, skiing to the South pole, climbing Aconcagua, Mount Vincent, which is the tallest mountain in Antarctica and uh, South America, skiing to the North pole, scuba diving in Galapagos. <laughs> so multiple adventures back. Really to back. boring so, life. Really yeah. boring life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very blessed with the opportunity. So that's on the adventure side. And then on the business side, <laughs> growing the Fearvana brand, we're launching Fearvana supplements, Fearvana clothing line. We got a monthly membership, the Fear Chasers Alliance. Ultimately, again, the whole ethos of Fearvana, what we're building into is a larger empire in multiple different verticals, products and services in different verticals to help people fall in love with struggle and use it to find, live, and love their worthy struggle. So yeah. that's on the business side and then the adventure side. That's kind of the what's what's on the horizon. And uh, as far as where to find me, you know, fearvana.com. The book is also available on Amazon in Kindle, Audible, paperback, and 100% of the profits go to charity. So I have my own nonprofit as well, the Fearvana Foundation, and we support many beautiful causes from former child soldiers to survivors of sex trafficking and just some beautiful causes. So the book, and you can find me at fearvana.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much, man. Really you appreciate your time. Appreciate brother. You. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of shit. You don't learn in college. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. So you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton.